Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and I'm like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, is she going to have the snark done on time? Is it going to be the morning of recording, or is she still working on it right this minute? I just meant that sometimes I'm smooth like caramel, and other times I'm, I'm, you know, coconutty. Coconutty indeed. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week we covered the first half of Chapter 27, Padfoot Returns, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Ron takes some liberties when he retells his harrowing tale of his nap in the Forbidden Lake. The brown owl stuck with delivering letters to Sirius had its work cut out for it and refuses to wait for a reply. Pansy Parkinson and the other Slytherins may be garbage humans, but only Rita Skeeter deserves the designation of garbage. Hermione puts on her sassy pants and busts out a couple of wand-drop responses. Snape threatens to slip a truth roofie, or trophy to our hero, but the unshaken Harry uses his penchant and skill for meddling to drop some eaves on a meeting of the sketchy teacher guild. During episode 98, Rita Garbage Skeeter, our Potter pondering was, do you think Neville had to steal the gillyweed from Snape's private stores in the film, or was it just available in the student stores? Hi, Ellen, Katie. This is Ashley calling in about the Potter pondering. I actually wanted to record my voice this time because I think it sounds a bit clearer. But anyway, I think Neville didn't have to steal a damn thing because the movies like to leave out all of the little nuances that we enjoy. Like in book two, when they had to make Polyjuice Potion to figure out who the air Slytherin was. They didn't have to steal a damn thing because the shit to make Polyjuice Potion is just randomly laying around Hogwarts somewhere easily accessible to children. So no, but to be completely honest, this is probably one of the parts that I least hate that they changed because nobody's mad at Neville getting a little clout. (laughs) G'day guys, it's Jackson here. So with the Gillyweed, for the movie version... Possibly there might be student stores. But then again, you know, Snape says directly to Harry, should you ever steal from my private stores again? So, yeah. I mean, there's one other possibility. Maybe Neville told Harry about the gillyweed, said he could get it, and then went to Moody and asked for help getting it. And then Moody took it. Could be... uh, an idea? Hello, this is David. I'm just saying that there is no way that Neville would steal uh, at this stage of the game. Possibly not even until sixth or seventh or fifth or sixth year. But at this stage, not one chance in hello, how are you doing? Hey guys, Mike. I'm just calling in with my answer to the pod pondering about Neville stealing the guilty from Snape's private stores or otherwise. I think there's very little chance that Neville stole the guilty from Snape's private stores. Like, 
it was only what one book ago that he was having Snape as his bodyguard, and I don't think that he really gained the courage to do that sort of stuff. I mean, he he did in the first book send to his friends, but that it's not quite the same as standing up to Snape, and I feel like that was something that really grew out of the DA, and not so much anything that's already happened. So I don't think he'd be able to steal from these private stores. I imagine it was just available in the student stores. But at the same time, I think it still does make way more sense that Dobby would get up into state private stores, considering, you know, teleportation and his dedication to Harry is probably just, you know, able to override any sort of fear he might have of Snape or any other dark wizards he's probably calling them. So, yeah, that's it on that. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you so much to our keepers who called in to share your thoughts. We love hearing your voices. And thank you to those of you that respond on our Facebook page, too. Y'all have such great thoughts, and we love that you share them with us. Mm-hmm. Last week, our trivia question was, what does Sirius ask the trio to refer to him by when they talk about him among themselves? He asks them to call him Snuffles. 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 Congratulations goes to Jackson Miller. Woohoo! We had a little glitch with Podbean's post of the episode, so it didn't show up at the normal time, but he was determined to hold on to his streak and posted it on the promo picture post instead. Then he posted it on the broken link and then the official link, so it's definitely safe to say he won. And three posts is fitting because this is his third week in a row. Yep, he seems determined to beat this record. I think he can do it. He's got the dedication, that's for sure, but we shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 27, Padfoot Returns, and the corresponding film scene that has nothing to do with this book chapter but didn't really fit anywhere else. Chapter 27, Padfoot Returns, Part 2 At noon on Saturday, Harry, Ron, and Hermione head to Hogsmeade on a much milder day than it has been so far. They have a dozen chicken legs, a loaf of bread, and a flask of pumpkin juice to take to Sirius. But before they meet with him, they stop in Gladrag's wizard wear and select a bunch of fun socks for Dobby. At half past one, they make their way up the high street, past Dervish and Bangs, and out towards the edge of the village. They walk towards the foot of the mountain and find a large, shaggy black dog waiting for them. It's carrying some newspapers in its mouth and eagerly sniffs Harry's bag and wags its tail when Harry says, Hello, Sirius. The dog then turns and leads them to the mountain and up a steep and stony path for about half an hour. They reach a cave and slip in, where they find Buckbeak the Hippogriff tethered to a large rock. The dog transforms into Sirius Black, who's wearing ragged gray robes and looking very thin. He excitedly begins to eat the chicken Harry hands him, explaining that he's been mostly living off of rats so he doesn't draw too much attention to himself. Harry wants to know why he's there, and Sirius explains that he's fulfilling his godfather duties and wants to be on spot because things are getting fishier. Harry is still worried he might be caught, but Sirius insists that he's pretending to be a lovable stray, and that they and Dumbledore are the only ones who know he's an animagus. Ron nudges Harry and passes him the Daily Prophets, one of which has an article about Bartimius Crouch and his mysterious illness. Harry comments on how they make it sound like he's dying, but he was able to make it up here so he can't be that ill. 
Ron lets Sirius know that his brother is Crouch's personal assistant and says that Crouch is suffering from overwork. Harry points out that Crouch did look ill the last time he saw him when his name came out of the goblet, and Hermione thinks he's getting his comeuppance for sacking Winky. Ron mutters to Sirius that Hermione is obsessed with house elves, and Sirius is interested to know that Crouch fired his. Harry fills Sirius in on what happened at the Quidditch World Cup, and when Sirius recaps that Crouch asked Winky to save him a seat in the top box but then never showed up, he wondered if Harry checked his pockets for his wand then. Harry says that he didn't have any need to until later, and wonders if the person who conjured the dark mark stole his wand in the top box. Sirius thinks it's possible, and Hermione again jumps to Winky's defense. Sirius points out that the elf wasn't the only one in the box and asked who was sitting behind them. They mention the Bulgarian ministers, Fudge, the Malfoys, and Hermione also says Ludo Bagman. Sirius says he doesn't really know anything about him and asks what he's like. Harry says he's okay and tells him how he keeps offering to help him with the Triwizard Tournament because he's taking a liking to him. Sirius thinks about this as Hermione says that they also saw him in the forest just before the Dark Mark appeared. Ron tries to point out that he left, but Hermione insists that they don't know where he disapparated to. Ron doesn't think it's likely that Bagman conjured the Dark Mark, but Hermione stubbornly says that it's more likely he did than Winky. Before they can start bickering, Sirius holds up his hand and asks how Crouch reacted when his elf was discovered with Harry's wand. Harry says that he went to look in the bushes for someone else, but there wasn't anyone, and Sirius says that he definitely would want to pin it on anyone but his own elf, but then asks that he sacked her? Hermione very heatedly confirms this, and Ron tells her to give it a rest with the elf, but Sirius shakes his head and tells them that Hermione has the measure of Crouch. He says if you want to know what a man is like, take a look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. He also mentions that it's not like Crouch to go through the trouble of having his elf save him a seat and then not show up to watch, and to stop coming to the Triwizard Tournament he worked so hard to reinstate. Sirius doesn't think Crouch has ever taken a day off work before, and Harry wonders if he knows him. Sirius's face darkens as he explains that Crouch was the one who sent him off to Azkaban without a trial. The trio are completely shocked by this news, and Sirius explains that Crouch used to be in charge of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement and was tipped for the next Minister of Magic, calling him powerful and power-hungry, though never a Voldemort supporter. Sirius says that Crouch was very outspoken against the dark side and cuts the rest of his thoughts off to say the trio is too young to understand. Ron insists that he try them, and Sirius grins and tells them to imagine that Voldemort is powerful now. They don't know who his supporters are and who aren't. They know he can control people. Every week there's news of more deaths, more disappearances, more torturing, and muggles are dying too. Terror, panic, and confusion everywhere. That's how it used to be, and times like that can bring out the best in some people and the worst in others. Crouch may have started out good, but he started ordering very harsh measures against Voldemort's supporters. Orbs were given power to kill rather than capture, and used the unforgivable curses against suspects, and other people didn't get trials as well. Crouch was as ruthless and cruel as many on the dark side, though he did have a lot of supporters that thought he was going about it the right way, and wanted him to take over as Minister of Magic. 
When Voldemort disappeared, it looked like only a matter of time before he got the job, until his own son was caught with a group of Death Eaters who'd managed to talk their way out of Azkaban. Hermione gasps at this revelation, and Sirius confirms that it was a nasty shock for Barty, saying that he should have spent a little more time with his family instead of at the office. Harry asks if his son was a Death Eater, and Sirius answers that he has no idea. He could have been in the wrong place at the wrong time, though he was definitely in the company of people he'd bet his life were Death Eaters. Hermione wonders if Crouch tried to get his son off, and Sirius laughs at this and says he thought she had the measure of the man. All he did was give him a trial, mostly to show just how much he hated the boy, and then he sent him off to Azkaban. Harry is shocked that he gave his own son to the Dementors, and Sirius recalls when he watched them bring him into a cell near his. He couldn't have been more than 19 and was screaming for his mother, though he went quiet after a few days. Harry asks if he's still in Azkaban, and Sirius tells him that he died about a year after they brought him in, as do a lot of the prisoners. That was also the last time he saw Barty Crouch, who was allowed a deathbed visit and half-carried his wife who was also very ill and died herself not long after. So Crouch lost everything and experienced a big drop in popularity. Cornelius Fudge became the Minister of Magic, and Crouch was put in the Department of Magical Cooperation. Harry thinks for a moment and then mentions how Mad-Eye Moody said that Crouch is obsessed with catching dark wizards. Sirius confirms that he heard it was a bit of a mania with him, thinking that he wants to bring back the old popularity by catching one more Death Eater. Ron mentions how he snuck up to Hogwarts to search Snape's office, and Sirius says that doesn't make sense at all, because if he wanted to keep an eye on Snape, why would he be skipping the tournament? Harry wants to know if Sirius thinks Snape could be up to something, but Hermione interrupts to remind them all that Dumbledore trusts Snape. She and Ron bicker about it a bit, and Harry cuts them off to ask what Sirius thinks. Sirius says they've both got a point. He wonders why Dumbledore hired him because he was always fascinated by the dark arts and was part of a gang of Slytherins that nearly all turned out to be Death Eaters. Rosier and Wilkes, who were killed by Aurors, the Lestranges, a married couple now in Azkaban, and Avery, who claimed to be under the Imperius curse. But as far as he knows, Snape was never accused of being a Death Eater, though he's certainly clever enough to keep out of trouble. Ron mentions that Snape knows Karkaroff pretty well, and Harry tells Sirius about the look on his face when Karkaroff showed up in potions and showed him something on his arm. Sirius isn't sure what that's about, and is frustrated that he doesn't know what to make of the information. Ron wonders why Moody and Crouch would be so keen to get into his office, and Sirius says that he bets Moody searched every teacher's office because he doesn't trust anyone, though he never killed if he could help it. But with Crouch, it's weird because he's supposedly ill. He wonders what it is that he's been up to and asks if Ron can ask his brother about him and Bertha Jorkins. Ron says he can try, but his doubtful Percy will tell them much. Harry mentions that Bagman told him they don't have any new leads on Bertha, and Sirius says that he was quoted in the article, blustering about how bad Bertha's memory was, and he found that odd because he remembers her having an excellent memory for gossip. He sighs and asks what time it is. Hermione says it's half past three and he tells them that they better get back to school, though he adds on that he doesn't want Harry sneaking out to see him, just to keep writing him notes because leaving Hogwarts could give someone an ideal opportunity to attack him. 
Harry points out that no one has tried to attack him other than a dragon and a couple of Grindelow, but Sirius scowls and says he doesn't care. He'll feel better when the tournament is over. He also advises them to refer to him as Snuffles when they talk about him, and turns back into the large black dog to walk them back to the edge of town. As the trio return to school, they talk about whether or not Percy knows all that stuff about Crouch, and as they approach the Great Hall for dinner, Ron says, Poor old Snuffles, he must really like you, Harry. Imagine having to live off rats. The movie section includes a scene that starts on Harry, Ron, and Hermione walking up the dock wrapped in blankets, closely followed by Fred and George, who are commenting on Harry's moral fiber. Mr. Crouch greets Harry at the end of the dock and congratulates him on his fine achievement. Ron calls to Harry that they will see him at Hagrid's, and Mr. Crouch and Harry walk along together, as Crouch apologizes that they haven't spoken, commenting on how he has heard his remarkable story so many times. The camera cuts to a view of Mad-Eye Moody watching them through his magical eye before limping towards them. Then it cuts back to Harry and Mr. Crouch walking through the trees as Crouch continues to discuss the tragic loss of family. He hesitates and very pointedly says that you are never whole again. Harry looks up at him in silence as Crouch says that life still goes on, and here they stand. Harry gives a little smile and nod at this, and Crouch tells him that he's sure his parents would be very proud of him. At this point, Moody approaches and asks Bartimius if he is trying to lure Potter into one of the Ministry's summer internships, because the last boy who went into the Department of Mysteries never came out. He punctuates his comment with a quick tongue flick to the corner of his mouth, which causes Crouch to look alarmed and step closer to Moody. The two stare at each other for a moment before Crouch walks off without saying anything. Moody watches him walk off and calls after him, and they say, I'm mad. Crouch looks back at him one last time, then turns away, as Moody does the same and pulls out his hip flask to take a quick drink from it as he limps off in the opposite direction. So... This section has the corresponding film scenes that don't really correspond, which means we're mostly going to, again, just be discussing what was left out of the movie. We will also talk about the short film scene that was included in the movie, even though it doesn't actually happen in the book. It does actually relate to it a little bit. Kind of. Uh, sort of. We can definitely stretch it to tie in. It's a stretch. It is a bit of a, yeah. Luckily, there's also a deleted scene that is also a stretch because it doesn't really correspond to the book at all either. But, I mean, we'll talk about that too. Yeah, yay! Stuff to talk about! Yay! The movie section includes a scene that starts on Harry, Ron, and Hermione walking up the dock wrapped in blankets, closely followed by Fred and George, who are commenting on Harry's moral fiver. Yeah, the one twin's all like, well done, moral fiber. Obviously, it was Fred, George, George, Fred, George. Fred. Damn it. One of the twins. Whichever one. Someday we're going to get this. Probably not. I don't think we will. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't actually think that'll be happening. <laughs> but then Mr. Crouch greets Harry at the end of the dock and congratulates him on his fine achievement. And obviously, this could not have happened in the book because at this point, Mr. Crouch is just AWOL. Yeah. He's ill. Except for maybe breaking into offices in the middle of the night, but... Randomly, yes. It's all very fishy. Very. It's fishier than that lake behind him, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. Fishy. 
Ron tells Harry that he'll see them at Hagrid's later, and Mr. Crouch and Harry go for a little walk. Because why not? Sure. I mean, Harry's kind of used to taking walks with middle-aged men in the forest, so that sounded wrong. I didn't actually mean it to be. Except that he probably kind of is, because Bagman keeps telling him to step aside. Right. Sirius had him do that in the previous movie. Lupin? Yeah, like it's a thing. Yeah. He should be used to it. It's weird, but he should be used to it. It's weird, but he should be used to it in a non-pervy way. Yes. There we go. For once, I'm actually not being pervy. I don't know what to do with myself here. This is weird. We should keep going. I'm gonna. Crouch takes this opportunity to apologize that they haven't spoken, commenting on how he has heard his remarkable story so many times, like everybody fucking else in the world right and that is a weird thing to apologize for maybe you should be like hey sorry i accused you of conjuring the dark mark right (laughs) yeah i don't know throwing that out there sorry i was a bit of a dick the first time we met but you know how things are when dark marks are in the sky and anxiety's up there and you know bureaucratic bullshit yeah all the good stuff I'm kind of a mess. My bad. <laughs> Whoopsies. But no. Sorry we haven't spoken. Yeah. The camera then shows us what it's like to live in Mad-Eye Moody's face. Because it shows us a view of Barty Crouch and Harry walking along the woods, wherever they are. But through Mad-Eye Moody's Mad-Eye. Which is strangely like a camera in itself. Yeah. A little bit. Reminded me a little bit of a Cyberman, too. Yeah. It's a little weird. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't a fan. And it makes zooming noises. That would bother me. Yeah. (laughs) It makes me wonder if, like, the zooming noises is actually on the outside. Like, if I was standing next to him, if I could just hear the zooming. That would bother me so much. I mean, the video camera in the movie was picking it up, so clearly it must have been pretty loud. Obviously. 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 Sonny starts limping towards them, and it switches back to Harry and Mr. Crouch walking through the trees like they do. Frolicking. (laughs) Frolicking through the trees as they discuss the tragic loss of family that took a turn it yeah oh awkward this is very pointed in this moment as well and i think it is a super subtle like barely gets the point across but way of tying in something that is mentioned that we learned later in this chapter so i'll bring that up again when we get there yeah Crouch hesitates at this point and very pointedly says that you are never whole again. Which, I mean, that's pretty heavy to say to a 14-year-old. <laughs> Granted, Harry's been through some shit, but I mean, just ask him how the weather is, dude. Yeah, it clearly <laughs> was supposed to say more about Barty Crouch than it was about who he was having the conversation with. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, boy's got a lot on his mind. <laughs> or so it would seem. Yeah. Harry looks up at him in silence as Crouch says that life still goes on, and here they stand. Again, maybe just make small talk, guy. I think that was him making small talk. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we gotta work on your small talk, guy. Just saying. Yeah. (laughs) But Harry very cordially gives him a nice little smile and nods because what else are you gonna do at that point yeah what do you say yeah he's like yep we stand here we (laughs) keep on keeping on we we do indeed sir yeah death sucks (laughs) 
miss my parents. Thanks for bringing it up. Yep. Good times. Good times. All right. Moving on. And Crouch tells him that he's sure his parents would be very proud of him. Again, dude. Heavy. 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 Also something he hears from other people who definitely knew his parents better than you did. Right. And a hi, I just met you. Yeah. And this is crazy. Don't talk about my parents. That's creepy, maybe. (laughs) I was a baby. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, Moody approaches and asks Bartimius, which I love that he calls him his Bartimius. Bartimius. That's pretty good, Matt. Thanks. Bartimius, if he's trying to lure Potter into one of the Ministry's summer internships, because the last boy who went into the Department of Mysteries never came out. <laughs> I'm kind of proud. That was pretty good. <laughs> I am impressed. Actually, a little bit proud of that. I'm not going to lie. No, I'm impressed because the moment you put this microphone in my face, I lose all abilities to do any kind of accents in any way, shape, or form whatsoever at all. You know what? It was the Bartimius that kicked it off. It sure worked. Once I got the Bartimius, it all just rolled in. So. You got it. Good for you. Nice. Moving on. He then randomly flicks his tongue to the corner of his mouth, which causes Crouch to look like he just shit himself. Mm-hmm. Like... Luckily, he was wearing his brown pants. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, though, his face just goes white. Yeah. It, it was like he saw a ghost. Yeah. He sees the tongue flick, and then he steps closer to Moody, and this always cracks me up because he, like, stares at his mouth. Right? <laughs> like, could you get a little more creepy today, dude? You're really bordering a line here. And I'm really interested to know what our keepers think about this tongue flick. Oh, I know how some of them feel, but... Yeah, I'm really interested to know because it's a little weird. It's weird. But they incorporated it well. And it is a good device. It worked, but it was weird. It conveyed what needed to be conveyed, considering everything else that they left out. But also at the same time, it was almost too in your face. It was very in your face. Yeah. So I think that's going to be our Potter pondering because I want to know what you guys think. I honestly, I kind of like that that was a thing they decided to put in there. I'm glad they decided to put something in there. Exactly. That's for sure. It would not have been my choice. However... Considering everything else that they cut out. Yeah. I'm glad that they kind of put something in there. Because I do kind of remember, even though I knew how the book ended, I knew how the movie ended when I saw the movie the first time. And he did that tongue flick. And then it comes full circle later on. Which we will talk about later on. Which we will talk about later on. But I was like, oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. So I did still get that feeling. Yeah, it was a thing. Yeah. It was a thing. Was it the right thing? Maybe not. Maybe. Maybe. We'd love to know what you think. Definitely. The two look each other over for a moment, just kind of staring each one down. Staring contest. (laughs) I think Moody would win. Because I don't think that magic eye blinks. Probably not. (laughs) They size each other up a bit before Crouch walks off without saying anything. Moody watches him walk off and calls after him. And they say, I'm mad. Crouch looks back at him one more time, then turns away. As Moody does the same and pulls out his fun flask to take a quick drink from it as he limps off in the opposite direction. I wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, even though this is not included in the book, even though they were just like, fuck it, let's make shit up. <laughs> there was a lot included in this one minute long movie section. Yeah. That the way that Roger Lloyd Pack played Crouch in this scene mm-hmm. was phenomenal 
Yeah. And maybe it's just because we'd read the book already and knew what was coming. But I could see it in his face, what he was realizing in that moment. Yeah. It was intense. It was definitely just written right there on his face. Yeah. You couldn't deny it. Like, you could read his mind almost. And maybe that was because we had kind of knew what was yeah. going on. But I like to think that even if I didn't, I would have caught on to something, something in that moment. for sure. Yeah. And then the way that Brennan Gleason, as Mad-Eye slash not actually Mad-Eye slash spoiler <laughs> alerts, like really surreptitiously takes that drink from his fun flask. Yeah. It was a very good short scene to build up a lot. Yeah. Well, too, when Crouch steps forward to like really look at Moody, which is weird because, you know, personal bubble guy. But you see a little tiny tongue flick from Brendan Gleeson. Teeny, 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 tiny. And it was a compulsion. It's so weird to be able to see it on someone's face when they're trying not to do something that they can't help but do. Mm-hmm. But you don't know that. and Or you're not supposed to know that, I should say. And so to see an actor do that, yeah. believably, I just, it amazes me every time. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really incredible the way that whole thing played out. Yeah. So it doesn't really correspond, but it was very interesting and very well done. Mm-hmm. Agreed. We also had a deleted scene for this, which takes place right after Moody takes the sip from his fun flask. Crouch pauses by a tree again and takes another look at Moody as he walks away. The camera then cuts to Harry and Moody stopping by a tree by the lake for a chat. Moody grabs Harry's blanket at his shoulder and leans right into him, telling him that if he wants to play the hero, he can find him plenty of first-year playmates. But otherwise, he should grow up fast, because there are worse than mermaids out there. He tells Harry that they can win this. He releases him and walks away, leaving Harry looking a little confused, but thoughtful, before he walks off himself. I thought this was kind of interesting that they had Moody say, we can win this Mm -hmm. in the deleted scene. Yeah. Oh, you're just like flat out saying you're helping him now. Yeah. I mean, it was very obvious before, but now you've literally just spelled it out. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I can see why they didn't include this either, though, because it was a little too on the nose. Yeah. It wasn't necessary to spell it out that much, Moody's involvement. Mm-hmm. It was already there. We didn't need it spoon-fed to us. I liked the idea that Moody was frustrated because Harry decided to be the hero and decided to wait instead of just going down, getting his shit, coming back up and being first and winning. But at the same time, it didn't matter in the end. So, yeah. And it also didn't happen in the book. There's that too. So. Definitely. <laughs> Speaking of the book, this half of the book chapter starts out on Saturday at noon when they all head to Hogsmeade and the weather is the mildest it's been all year. Well, I mean, that's saying quite a bit, really. Yeah. Well, by this point, it's March. So we're getting a little closer to springtime. Yeah. They managed to sneak a dozen chicken legs, a loaf of bread, and a flask of pumpkin juice from lunch for Sirius. Or how the hell did they sneak it? In your robe pockets. Those are big-ass pockets. They're big-ass robes. They don't wear them in the movies. It's a good thing they didn't include this. They wouldn't have a place to sneak food. (laughs) That's very true. He wrapped it up in Harry's invisibility cloak and he carried it. There you go. (laughs) 
But on their way, before they go to meet up with Sirius, they stop in Glad Rags Wizard Wear to buy the most sensational socks for Dobby. Aww. They find a pair that scream when they get too smelly. Oh, I don't like that. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't like that strictly because I'm not very good at doing laundry in a timely manner. So, like, they would get dirty and just be screaming for a week. If I were to design those socks, I would make them only scream while they were on your feet. That's what I would do. I'll, I'll give you that then. All right. Makes sense. But anyway, at half past one, the three make their way into the wild countryside around Hogsmeade, where there were much fewer cottages. So it makes sense to meet there. Yeah. Less possible witnesses. Make it sound like they're going to murder someone. They're here to do murders. Maybe they are. You don't know. <laughs> they walk towards the foot of the mountain, and when they turn a corner, they see a very large shaggy black dog. Just chilling, waiting for him. Just hanging out. Like shaggy black dogs do. The dog has newspapers in its mouth, and Harry says, hello, Sirius, when they reach him. Boy, way to use code. To be fair, he hasn't told them about the code yet. The dog wags its tail once and leads them up a steep, stony path, and almost half an hour later, they reach a cave and squeeze inside. And they all bow to him so Hermione can go up and pat him. Aww. We missed you, Buckbeak. Hi, Buckbeak. Beaky. Beaky. <laughs> the dog transforms back into Sirius, who is wearing the same ragged robes and looking very untidy and thin, like worse than he did when Harry first met him, Aww. which is sad. That is, because he didn't look that great, man. Harry hands him the bundle of food, and Sirius excitedly starts to eat the chicken. He's like, chicken! <laughs> chicken! Yeah, Chicken! And he explains, as he tears into this chicken, he explains that he has mostly been living off of rats because he doesn't want to draw attention to himself in Hogsmeade and he can't steal too much food. Turns out it's not true what I've heard then, because I've heard rats taste like chicken. But apparently not, if Sirius was super excited for chicken. But was he cooking the rats and then eating them, or was he eating them in rat raw form? I don't know. Maybe cooked rat tastes more like chicken. I thought it was frogs that tasted like chicken. I think everything tastes like chicken. Rat, the other, other, other white meat. Ew. Or would it be dark meat? I, was, I think it would be dark meat. Anyway, let's just keep rolling. <laughs> he asks Sirius what he's doing there, and seeing the anxiety on his dog son's face, he explains that he wants to be close because things seem to keep getting fishier and fishier, and judging by the papers that he's stolen, he's not the only one who's worried. Well... Fishia and fishia. Basically. Mm -hmm. Harry's concerned about what would happen if Sirius is seen or caught. And Sirius responds saying that only they and Dumbledore know he's an animagus. So he'll be fine because he's being very careful. Famous last words. He says he's pretending to be a lovable stray. Which, I mean, isn't he though? Right. <laughs> Basically. You'd think that'd get him more than rats though. Eh. I mean, he had to steal the papers, for fuck's sake. He's not really getting much. True story. Poor Sirius. Ron hands Harry the two daily profits Sirius had been carrying, and one headline is, Mystery Illness of Bartimius Crouch, and the other is, Ministry Witch Still Missing, Minister of Magic Now Personally Involved. That's a long-ass title for an article. Yeah, but you know what? Excellent alliteration. Yeah. Very nice. Harry scans the story about Crouch, 
and says the article makes it seem like he's dying, but he can't be that sick if he managed to be at the castle. Or did he? Or did he? In the movie, he did. In the movie, he did. <laughs> he also didn't break into Snape's office. No. As far as we know. He also wasn't sick at all. Right. In the movie. Harry says that Crouch did look ill the last time he'd seen him up close, which was the night his name came out of the Goblet of Fire. Hermione thinks that that's what he gets for sacking Winky and says that he probably wishes she were there now to take care of him. Ron tells Sirius that Hermione is obsessed with house elves and Sirius wants to know more about Crouch sacking his. I mean, are you telling me that Sirius doesn't care about house elf welfare? What? I don't think that's the point of that at all. I think he thinks it's fishy. Well, it is pretty fishy. It's fishy. Mm-hmm. Harry tells Sirius what happened the night of the Quidditch World Cup, setting his dog father pacing up and down the cave. Sirius makes sure he has the story right, that Winky was saving Crouch a seat at the top box, and then he never showed up for the match, which Harry confirms, saying that he said he'd been too busy. Mm-hmm. Sirius then asks Harry if he checked for his wand after they left the top box. And Harry was just like, no, I didn't even ever need it until we were back at the tents. Yeah. And then I noticed it was gone. So he wanted to know if whoever conjured the dark mark could have stolen his wand in the top box. Stranger things have happened. Especially to Harry. Exactly. Sirius says that it's possible and wants to know who else was in the box with them. They tell him that there were a lot of people, the Bulgarian ministers, Fudge, the Malfoys, and Hermione mentions that Ludo Bagman was there as well. All very fishy people. Very fishy. Mm-hmm. Sirius asks what Bagman is like, and Harry tells him that he's all right. He keeps offering to help me with the tournament. And Sirius is again like, hmm, fishy. Very fishy. I feel like, hmm. Fishy is going to be the episode title. Probably. <laughs> Hermione says that they saw him in the forest right before the dark mark appeared. And Ron says, well, he went off to the campsite. And Hermione's just like, you don't know. You don't know where he just separated to. You don't know his life. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know him. Sorry, don't. <laughs> Ron scoffs and asks if Hermione really thinks that Ludo Bagman conjured the dark mark and Hermione's like well it's more likely that it was him than Winky that is pretty on point yeah she's definitely got something there mm -hmm. Sirius asks what Crouch did when the elf was found with Harry's wand and Harry tells him that he'd gone to look in the bushes but couldn't find anyone else there hmm supposedly Allegedly. Spoilers. <laughs> Sirius said that Crouch would have wanted to pin it on anybody other than his own elf and asks if that's when he sacked her. Hermione gets very heated and says, yes, that she got sacked for not staying in her tent to be trampled. Ron tells her to give it a rest, but Sirius tells him that Hermione has the measure of Crouch. You can tell a lot about a man by how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. We should stitch that on a pillow. We should find a way to work that into a shirt. Mm-hmm. Like, for real. Because I love that line. I think it's so true. Yeah, I agree. Very much so. Sirius thinks hard about this information and remarks that the behavior and all of the absences are very uncharacteristic for Crouch. Mm-hmm. 
He says if that man had ever taken a day off for illness before, he would eat buckbeak. Probably without mustard. <laughs> he didn't actually say that last part. That just sort of came into my head, so I went with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does mustard go well with hippogriff? Mustard goes pretty well on most things if Ooh. you like mustard. Ooh. If you don't like mustard, then probably not. I like honey mustard. Okay, maybe count? with honey mustard. Yeah, all right, I can see that. It's probably like a chicken. Yeah. Like a like a gamier chicken because it's be chicken and but horse. Didn't we agree that he was going to be like chicken and steak in one and he was the perfect meat? That is true. So maybe not mustard. But honey mustard would be good on the chicken side. True. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> this is what you call a tangent, children. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Harry wants to know if Sirius knows Crouch. And Sirius says that Crouch was the one who gave the order for him to be sent to the ban without trial. Well, damn. Skipping over due process? That's not cool. Apparently. What? This also shocks Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And Sirius explains that Crouch had been the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement at the time. And he was a great wizard and power hungry, but never a supporter of Voldemort. That he was always very outspoken against the dark side. He stops this line of talking, saying that the three of them are too young to understand, which frustrates Ron, who's like, that's what my dad said. Why don't you try us? I mean, fair. Yeah. They have been through some shit. They have. This makes Sirius grin, and he asks them to imagine that Voldemort is in power now, and you don't know who his supporters are, who's working for him or not. You know that he can control people and make them do terrible things, and every week there's news of more deaths, more disappearances, more torturing. The ministry is chaotic, and even though they are trying to hide all this from the muggles, they're dying too. It's just terror, panic, and confusion everywhere, and that's what it was like when Voldemort was in power. That, kids, is what we like to call a clusterfuck. That is absolutely a clusterfuck. Mm-hmm. He says that times like that will either bring out the best or the worst in people and that Crouch's principles may have started off good. He doesn't know, but mm -hmm. he rose very quickly through the ministry and started issuing very harsh measures against Voldemort's supposed supporters, not even confirmed supporters, alleged, alleged supporters Orbs could kill instead of capture. They could use unforgivable curses. And he wasn't the only person who was sent to the ban without a trial. Crouch fought violence with violence and became just as ruthless and cruel as many of those on the dark side. Two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not good. No, not at all. Many people thought that Crouch was doing the right thing. And a lot of them wanted him to take over as Minister of Magic. When Voldemort disappeared, it seemed like it was only a matter of time before he got the top job. But then... What happened then? His own son was caught with a group of Death Eaters who'd managed to talk their way out of the ban and were trying to find and return Voldemort to power. <gasps> oh, my stars! Oh, my stars! Oh, golly! I just... I'm clutching my pearls right now. You don't have any pearls. I'm clutching my imaginary pearls right now. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> I can accept that. Okay. This information completely shocks Hermione, and Sirius says that it had to have been a nasty shock when he found out, and that maybe he should have spent more time at home getting to know his own son. 
Nasty shock for him when he found out. Right. Maybe you should have gone home from the office once in a while. Just saying. Cared a little more about your family and a little less about your power. Harry wants to know if his son was a Death Eater. And Sirius says that he doesn't know most of what he knows he learned after he escaped Azkaban. He only knows that he was definitely caught with a group of people that he's sure are Death Eaters. But it is possible he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, just like the house elf. Anything's possible, really. Hermione asks if Crouch let his son go. And Sirius just laughs like, I thought you had the measure of him, Hermione. <laughs> like, you watched him dismiss his house elf for being associated with the Dark Mark. Anything that threatens his reputation has got to go. Yep. His fatherly affection only went so far as to give him a, the pretense of a trial. Yeah. And he really just used that as an opportunity to show everybody else how much he hated the boy before he sent him off to the band, too. He can't go looking like he is a sympathizer with someone who may or may not be involved with Voldemort. Uh-huh. So throw the book at him. Fuck, throw I don't the care book that he's him. my flesh and blood. I mean, he denied that he was his flesh and blood, and we will actually learn a little bit more about this later. So we'll talk about it then. Yep. Harry's completely stunned that Crouch would give his own son to the Dementors. I'm not. He's weird. I think for somebody that desperately wants parents, that's weird. That is true. Yeah. Sirius tells them that he was there when he was brought in, that he couldn't have been more than 19, and by nightfall was screaming for his mother. Mm -mm. After a few days, he went quiet, as everybody goes quiet in the end in the ban. <laughs> And Harry asks if he's still in Azkaban, and Sirius tells them that he died about a year after he was brought in. And many prisoners do. It's either that or they just go mad. Yeah, I can't imagine that's a place where you're like, I'm just going to live out my many years here in the ban. Like a resort. No. 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 I'm pretty sure that at a certain point, death is just a release. They start to lose the will to live, and they stop eating is what happens. Mm-hmm. When he started to get really ill, Crouch and his wife were allowed a deathbed visit because powerful people. Well, yeah. And that was the last time he had seen Barty Crouch helping his wife to walk out. She died herself not long after that, mm -hmm. wasting away just like her son. So just when Crouch thought that he had everything, he lost it all, including his son, his wife, his good name, and his popularity. Everything. And now his house elf. And now his house elf and his date to the ball. Damn. Rough life, guy. Yeah. That's when Fudge was made Minister of Magic and Crouch was moved sidelong to the Department of International Magical Cooperation, which brings him to where he is now, although I guess we technically don't know where he is now. But yeah. yeah there is that. Yeah. <laughs> Harry tells Sirius that Moody says that Crouch is obsessed with catching dark wizards. And Sirius suspects that he thinks he will regain his popularity if he catches one more Death Eater. Just one more. Just one more, man. I just need one more hit, guy. One more hit. One more and then we'll stop. Could make him popular again. Mm -hmm. They'd like him again. Yeah. His life has got to suck now. It's got to be embarrassing for him, too. Yeah. Just to walk down the halls and everybody knows. You know what I mean? Right? Just one more one more Death Eater. That'll fix everything. Yep. Ron says that he thinks that's why he sneaked up to the castle to search Snape's office. And Sirius is like, yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. Because if he wanted to keep an eye on Snape, 
why would he keep missing the tournament? It's a perfect excuse for regular visits to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, hello, built-in spy time. <laughs> Unless you're watching the movie, in which case, I hate to break it to you, but none of that happens. No. Nope. Not a dicky bird. Not a dicky bird. <laughs> Harry asks if Sirius thinks Snape is up to something, but Hermione interjects that she doesn't care what they say because Dumbledore trusts Snape. Ron and Hermione again begin bickering. Like they do. And Harry interrupts to ask Sirius for his opinion. Like, I don't care what you guys are arguing about. What do you think, Sirius? <laughs> More to the point, what does the adult think? Yes, please and thank you. <laughs> Sirius thinks they both have got a point because it's strange that Dumbledore hired a man who was always so fascinated by the dark arts and was friends with a group of Slytherins that basically all became Death Eaters. I mean, depending on who you're asking, isn't that all Slytherins? Because everyone thinks Slytherins are Death Eaters. Well, yeah. Sorry, it makes me sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but he lists off the Death Eaters in question. And where they currently are. There's Rosier and Wilts, who were killed by Aurors. The Lestranges, who are a married couple, still alive, but in the ban. <laughs> and Avery, who escaped capture by saying he was under the Imperius curse. But as we know, scores of dark wizards claimed they only did you know who's bidding, because they were under the Imperius curse. And dark wizards would never lie. Never, never, never. Or they would lie a lot. I think they might. Mm -hmm. But despite Snape's involvement with these people, Sirius never heard of him being accused of being a Death Eater. He also adds that it's still possible he was because Snape is definitely clever enough to evade trouble. There is that. He's greasy enough to slip right through the law's fingers. Indeed. Ron points out that Snape and Karkaroff seem to know each other quite well, and Snape seems very keen to keep that quiet. Which is definitely fishy. They're boyfriends. Only in the movie. Oh. When he eye-fucks him while pouring his wine, according to you. According to everyone with eyes, because they <laughs> totally are eye-fucking. I have eyes and I didn't see it, but I'm not as dirty-minded as you are. You don't have to be dirty-minded. It's right there. <laughs> They're doing it. Just saying. Harry tells Sirius that he should have seen the look on his face when Karkaroff cornered him in the potions class. He tells his dog father about how Karkaroff showed him something on his arm that was concerning him, and Sirius isn't sure what that's about. Maybe he just has really bad rosacea. Maybe. Or maybe it was an eczema flare-up. Maybe. Who knows? But I think this is really fun because it's absolutely proof that Sirius was never a Death Eater. Yeah. Because he has no idea no what, they're, idea talking what they're talking about. No idea what they're talking about. And I love it. It's a nice little subtle touch. Mm -hmm. But it frustrates Sirius that he has no idea what this information means. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty frustrating situation, really. Because mm -hmm. it's not like he can just go ask the next person exactly. he sees. <laughs> Poor Sirius. Yeah. Ron wants to know why Moody and Crouch would have wanted to search Snape's office. And Sirius figures that Moody searched every teacher's office because he doesn't trust anyone. That would track. Yeah. Constant vigilance. <laughs> he does mention that Moody never killed if he could help it. So that shows that Sirius is actually capable of thinking fairly and isn't just blindly hating on anyone who could have had a hand in his unfair stint in the band. 
that's giving him a lot of credit. It makes the point for him to be like, I will say this for him. He never killed if he could help it. Yeah. He's being very fair, Mm -hmm. all things considered. Like, he's not commenting on things that he doesn't absolutely know. Mm -hmm. So that is pretty stand-up of him, I gotta say. Yeah. All serious. But he does go on to say that he doesn't know what to make of Crouch searching Snape's office, especially since he's supposedly ill. He asks if Ron can ask his brother what Crouch has been up to and to see if he can get any kind of update on Bertha Jorkins while he's at it. Where the fuck is Bertha Jorkins? Right? Not mentioned in the movies at all. Not at all. She is missing in the movies as well, but completely. (laughs) (laughs) See, there's a difference between missing and non-existent. Yeah. (laughs) Bertha Jorkins in the movies, non-existent. Bertha Jorkins in the book, currently missing, whereabouts unknown. Mm Mm-hmm. Ron agrees to try, but is extremely doubtful Percy will tell them anything, especially if it sounds like they're accusing Crouch of anything at all because Percy loves his boss. Well, heaven forbid you talk bad about Mr. Crouch. Harry tells Sirius what Bagman had said about the lack of leads on Bertha's whereabouts, and Sirius mentions that in the article about it, Bagman is quoted saying that Bertha has a really awful memory. And Sirius finds that really strange because he knew her back in school and remembers her having an excellent memory, especially for gossip, which used to get her in a lot of trouble. (laughs) That can all change over the years, though. It can. Technically speaking. But I get the point. (laughs) Sirius changes the subject to find out what time it is, and when Hermione tells him that it's 3.30, he says that they better get back to Hogwarts. He also insists that Harry is not to sneak out to see him. He should just continue writing notes to communicate with him. He's worried that someone would use that opportunity to attack Harry, who jokes that the only people who have tried have been a dragon and a couple of Grindelow. Oh, and and don't forget Voldemort last, like, however many years of his life. Yeah, but that hasn't happened recently. Clearly Uh, he's not a threat anymore. I mean, don't forget the werewolf last year. And But he didn't mean to. Okay, don't don't forget Snape, who, you know, outwardly threatens to But Snape's also protected him. Harry's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I can't argue with that. <laughs> Sirius is also not amused because he feels like he isn't gonna be able to breathe again until the tournament is over. He also tells them to call him Snuffles when they talk about him and turns back into the large dog so he can walk them back to the village. Which was our trivia question. Yep. It's about time they gave him a code name. Not serious. Call him, of all things, Snuffles. Yeah. Which, I mean... Who's gonna suspect? Anyone who went to Hogwarts with Sirius might remember that his nickname was Padfoot then. Right, that could be Which would include Snape. Mm-hmm. But how do you not trust someone named Snuffles? True story. That just sounds like an innocent little puppy. You hear Snuffles? <laughs> On their walk back to Hogwarts, Harry, Ron, and Hermione discuss whether or not Percy is aware of all they just learned about Crouch. And this is what I think kind of ties it into the movie. Mm-hmm. Because we just learned about all of that shit with Crouch and losing his family and losing his son and losing all his power. And they didn't really 
tell you that in the movie scene, but Crouch's face did. Yeah. His whole comment about the loss of family and just how forlorn he looked while he was talking about it. Like, that conveyed very close to the same message, I think. I think so, too. It's a stretch. Mm Mm-hmm. We really have to be like, this is totally what they were getting at. Yeah. To make it fit into this chapter section. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. For damn sure. But we made it work, I think. Did we? I think so. I'm gonna go with yes. (laughs) We did in our own heads, and that's what matters. Mm -hmm. Ron thinks that Percy might know all of this, and that it would probably just make him like him even more, because he loves rules. That is true. It's a fine line. Uh huh. (laughs) Hermione doesn't think Percy would ever throw his family to the Dementors, but Ron's like, I don't know about that. If we're standing in the way of his career, he might. Percy's ambitious. Yeah, Percy don't give a fuck. And I think that's why a lot of times you'll see Potterheads say that they think Percy might have been Slytherin. Mm-hmm. I disagree. Yeah. I don't think it was necessarily ambition that made him like that. No, what do you think it was? I think he was trying to find his place. Mm-hmm. Well, with such a big family. Mm-hmm. and Yeah. Like I said before, I've told you this before, I think Fred and George were the ones who should have been in Slytherin. I agree. And I think that they were the Slytherins that other Slytherins deserve. I say, yeah, they were the Slytherins that we needed Mm -hmm. and that we should have had. Yes. I claimed them for Slytherin. But anyway, as they enter the Great Hall and smell the delicious dinner, Ron's like, poor old Snuffles, he must really like you, Harry. Imagine having to live off rats. Aw, rats. Aw, rats. (laughs) That would suck. And that is where the book chapter ends. And since there was really no movie scenes, we don't have any actors to talk about, and the only actors that were in the scenes, we already talked about them anyway, so... We even ended up talking about them during this episode because they were excellent. Yep. (laughs) Well done again, guys. (laughs) And that'll bring us to our Potter Pondering this week, which is... What do you think about the movie's edition of the Tongue Flick Clue? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Or you can email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. We really look forward to reading and hearing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from... Carly Ferguson, who has actually already shared her Sorting Hat story much earlier on, but she decided she wanted to redo it and make it better. Since she's one of our patrons and our support badger, she can pretty much do whatever she wants. So here it is. Hmm. She writes, Hi, my name is Carly. I am a very huffly puffy Hufflepuff. My wand is 11 and 3 quarters ash with a dragon heartstring core. My Patronus is a ragdoll cat. My dad brought home a book when I was six years old. It was a copy of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. He let my sibling read it first, and then after they finished it, we dove into the magic together. It was my first chapter book as a young child. These books make me want to be a lifelong reader. We read the book together, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on the next copy. These books have changed my life in so many ways. They have given me comfort in times of anxiety, and still do. I love getting back into the series at the beginning of fall. 
I found Just Keep Rolling through another pod and I fell in love with the poem at the beginning. Now I have other avenues to turn to to get some anxiety relief. Finding Potter Pods has been amazing and this one is simply the best. Shucks. Any doubt why she's our support badger? (laughs) Thank you so much for resharing your sorting hat story, Carly. And thank you for being the best support badger ever. We love you. We do. Thanks so much. (laughs) If any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what happens to Hermione's hands that causes her to have to go to the hospital wing? The first one who responds with the correct answer in the code word, hashtag wicked girl, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 28, the madness of Mr. Crouch, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.